Okay, now it's on. Fantastic. Excellent, excellent. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to be back here. And um, listen, the, the worship music, always so good. I love being here and, um, and uh, just keep it up. And anybody out there, yeah, sign up. Join them. Um, fantastic. Well, listen, I, I want to just jump right in. And uh, if you look at the title of the sermon, it says Life Hack. Um, do you know what a life hack is? Um, I kind of do, I, I suppose. I better, at least because I came up with the sermon. But what it is, it's a, it's a life hack. Um, our little ways that are supposed to make our lives easier. You know, so I, easy life, sign me up. You know, I, I want to hear what a life hack is because I want to make my life a little bit easier. But there's, a, there's even websites that are dedicated to this whole notion of uh, life hacks. Uh, so I went to one of them and looked them up. And they have things like, uh, these are things that are supposed to make your life easier. In fact, sort of a... Uh, it's supposed to solve an every, everyday problem in a clever and uh, a non-obvious way. So one of the things that I saw on this uh, website was a, uh, like a, you have pancake batter. And what they're saying with the way to make your life easier is you put it in a, uh, an empty ketchup bottle so you can just pull it out and squeeze it on there and make pancakes. But I, my thought was like, well, you've got to clean the ketchup bottle first. <laughs> then you've got to get it in the ketchup bottle I sort of crossed that one off. I didn't see that as a, <laughs> too good of a life hack. Um, uh, the one, of the, one, of the things are, one thing they said you're supposed to do, I haven't tried this yet. You, they say uh, using toothpaste on your old car, like on the cover of your light, you're supposed to clear the haze off of it. I don't know. You would try it and let me know if it works. Um, but then uh, there was one other one. They said if you have a lot of keys on your keychain, if you put like different colored um, fingernail polish on each key, key you sort of tell them apart. But, but that didn't make any sense to me because I would need a whole card saying which one was what. The blue was the house. and the, So I, I'm not sure if there really are life hacks. But um, there was something that really made me think about this. It was I was listening to the radio, and then once I heard this commercial, it made me say, oh, yeah, I've seen a lot of that on the Internet. This commercial came on, and it said this. It, and let me just quote it. It said, um, oh, there is a ridiculously easy trick insurance companies don't want you to know about. Ridiculously easy trick. And have you ever seen on, like if you, if you go on the internet ever, there's these little advertisements that show up and they say, we have discovered one weird trick to, I don't know, lose weight. One weird trick to save you thousands on this. Or there was one that I saw that said, we have discovered a weird trick that adds $1,000 to your social security check. So evidently there are weird tricks out there, there are uh, life hacks that are supposed to make things easier, right? But I think what that is, is that at least I am, and I think maybe probably you are, we're, we're looking for something, because life is hard. I'm looking for a life hack, I'm looking for a one weird trick to make my life easier in, in probably every area of my life. And I think what, really what that comes from is the truth that Scripture teaches, is that we live in a fallen creation. And that as God has judged the world, everything now is made difficult. It's hard. Uh, we read in Genesis that now work is hard. You know, I'm constantly looking for one weird trick to make my job easier. <laughs> it's something. Um, but life, you know, work is hard now. Um, relationships are hard. Uh, boy, I need a lot of weird tricks for relationships, by the way. Um, relationships are hard because we live in a harsh world. 
We live in a broken world, and we're broken people in that world. And so, who blames us? Who can blame us looking for something to alleviate the pressure, to figure out how to get through life? Well, here's the thing about Scripture. It's not a gathering or a collection of weird tricks to make life easy. I promise you that. Um, uh, it's not full of ideas to make uh, life uh, avoid problems or suffering. But God's Word does provide something, many things, but in particular, resources for life. Because life is hard. It's just very difficult. No one would say now that, um, that things have gotten better, right? Uh, no one would say that uh, uh, life is easier now than it's ever been. Actually, we just look at the headlines. We, look at li- we just look at our own lives. We know it's difficult. Uh, and so here we are, and there are resources for life. Not a weird trick, but a resource. Not a life hack to avoid struggles and pain, but deep and meaningful resources for the journey that we are all on. Uh, and we're going to look at one of these resources. Just one of the things that's, that Scripture describes to us, and it's called trust. And trust has an object, certainly. But we're going to look at trust this morning. Uh, and it comes from actually a very familiar text. It's a lot of us. It's in Proverbs. It's in Proverbs um, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. It's a very short verse. I'll read it, and I'll pray, and we'll jump in. Here is God's written word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let's pray. Father, uh, open the word to us this morning. Father, we do live in a broken creation, and we're broken people uh, among other broken people in a broken world. And Father, we want easy fixes. We want to discover some one weird trick to make all the areas of our lives easier. But Father, that's not what you promise. You promise a person. And that's who we want to see now. We want to see Jesus high and lifted up. Father, show us Jesus. Take us to the cross this morning. Fill us with hope. Fill us with a desire to look into the face of Jesus over and over. And Father, give us a sense of trust now to place our trust in you completely and that we can hope only in you and find peace there. Peace that transcends all understanding. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get a little bit of background here for this passage. Um, we are on a journey, as I've said, through a broken world. We're broken people in a broken world. And um, where this all derives from is certainly we go all the way back uh, to, we can think of this and, and first ask the question, why were we created? We were created to be in fellowship with God, to know him deeply, to be in a deep fellowship with God and then for that, 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 that love and that joy and that peace that we experience with him, that has to translate to our other relationships with everyone else, right? Now, as we go back into Scripture, we see this uh, basic story of Adam and Eve, and they fell. They put themselves first. They wanted to be God. And so God, he passes judgment, and sin enters into the world, and it permeates everything that we touch and are involved in. Sin is everywhere. It's in our hearts. It affects everything else. We were created to be in fellowship with God, and now that relationship is broken. That relationship with other people is broken. 
But what we find is that we were designed, and it's all throughout Scripture, we were designed to walk with God. It's our purpose, is to walk with Him. There's a couple of passages that will help with this. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? A little bit later on, in the prophet Micah says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Again, we're to walk with Him. We're to, to know Him. That's what we're, we're designed to do. And then finally, Jesus sums up uh, so much of what Scripture teaches, and He says this. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He's, he's not only quoting Deuteronomy, it's Isaiah. He's, he's summarizing it all. That's what we're to do. And then Jesus will go on to say, too, that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. There, that's what we're designed to do. That's who we are. The goal in life is to walk with God. The goal in the life is to love God. The goal in life is to know God. Right? Uh, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Roy Hessian, describes knowing God. He describes walking with God and loving God as seeing God. In fact, the whole notion is we're to see Jesus, and that's what our goal in life is. Right? It's to see Jesus. Well then, here's the question. What are the life hacks? What's the... I don't even want to call it a weird trick. What do we, how, do, how does the scripture describe how we're to, to know God? How we're to walk with him? What's one of the ways that scripture describes that? One of the resources that we have to see Jesus as we as broken people walk in a broken world is trust. To trust him. So therefore, we go to our passage and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is what we're to do. That's what we're called to do. Uh, we're to, to trust him with all of our hearts. As you look in scripture, the heart um, is not the same as emotions. All right? So scripture, imagine you're God, right? And you're trying to describe how we're made up and how we, how, what, what, what makes up our inner being. And one of the ways God sort of begins to almost like compartmentalize some of the things. And so he would say, he describes the heart as the place where all of our commitments and hope reside. And then our emotions come out of that, right? Because all the things that you hope in, all the things you're committed to, and this is where a lot of sin comes in too. If you're hoping and committed to something other than him, oh my goodness, you can get angry when those things are threatened. You can lose all hope when they go away. So you can see how emotions come out of that. So whatever seated deep in our heart, that's what we hope and are committed to. What scripture said is you are to trust the Lord with all your heart. Every ounce of your being is to be about him. I love when Alex, has said, Alex says that, that we are about Jesus here. That's right. Amen. That's what's to be deep in our heart. That is what we're to be committed to. We're, our desire is to see Jesus, to commit to him, to know him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. One of the ways that the word trust is understood, and I'm not, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any sense. I just have books that I read, and I look, and I can see. And one of the commentators, a guy named Derek Kidner, describes trust this way, that the root of this word trust, and we're going to talk about another root of that word, but one of them is this image of how we're to trust God, and it has this idea of laying face down helplessly. Now think about that image, face down helplessly. Uh, something that gave us, my wife Sherry and I, an understanding of this word uh, has to do with our oldest son, Billy. And listen, um, 
probably I use him as an illustration all the time. Because one of the things that happens when you have an autistic child in your life, it defines who you are in so many ways. It's just everything about him as our son. Uh, it, our lives have revolved so much around him. And so uh, being a pastor is kind of cool. It gives you good illustrations, at least on one level. And he's such a sweet guy. He is, uh, he'll be 23 at the end of the year. Uh, when he was 17, uh, he turned uh, violent. He was really going through some things, and we couldn't keep him in the home. And so uh, he, he was placed, and God miraculously found a place for him in a group home. And so uh, we would go and visit him a lot because it was out of town. And um, when they were really working with his anger and the way he would lash out, they had something they called the blue mat. All right? It was this thing you could carry around, and they would carry it around with him on the campus there. And if we took him out to a restaurant, they would carry the blue mat. And the blue mat was kind of like a wrestling mat. mat. You know, like, like in PE, we'd have mats you could do tumbling on. And that mat was designed so that when he would begin to act out, a couple of the staff would open that mat, gently push, place him down, face down, his arms just like this, and they would, they would, there was a protocol that they would have, and they would hold him there. And they would hold him there until he stopped fighting, until he stopped kicking. Because what he was wanting was his own way. He was wanting things his way. And he was harming himself, he was harming others. And so they would lay him on the blue mat. And they would take it to restaurants with us, and every once in a while they'd break it out in the restaurant. Can you imagine, you know, <laughs> what is going on over there? But he, we just got to the point where it was all over, and he was helpless, face down, and it was over. He stopped kicking. He just, you could see him just take a deep breath, and he got up, and it was over. And we got to thinking about that, and, um, and that's what trust is, isn't it? It's sort of when we stop kicking against what God wants. When we stop wanting our way, you see, when we want our way, we're bringing harm to ourselves, and we're bringing harm to others. So trust is laying face down helpless, and just finally taking a deep breath. And then the next sort of idea then would be that, um, as the passage says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. The idea of leaning isn't sort of just like reclining. It's actually you're absolutely supported, being supported by something. It's the Lord's understanding that, that allows us to be able to stand up, to stand up and really put trust into action. And so even in the, in the context of, uh, of, of Proverbs, we think about there is no such thing as wisdom apart from God. And so here we are, helplessly face down. We, we get to stand up now and lean on him. But it's not our wisdom that we need to lean on at all. Because our wisdom is like a little thimble full of water, and we're standing in front of this vast ocean of God's wisdom. And it is ridiculous when you sort of think about it. You look at this, you look at that, you look at this. And it's, no, we want this. We want the wisdom of God. And that's what we're to lean into. And that's how we stand up. And another way, how we're able to sort of begin to stand up uh, off the blue mat where we trust him and we stand up, we put things into action, is to acknowledge God. It says that that very simple passage is, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. To know in Proverbs means a personal knowledge, that you're aware of the other person, and you have fellowship with him. That's what we're about. That's what we've been designed to do. Have fellowship with God, to love him, to walk with him. Um, one of the things that as a, as a pastor, now I'm no longer a pastor full-time, um, I had a lot of opportunity to do marriage counseling. 
And uh, boy, oh boy, I kind of wish I had the wisdom of later years I could have applied to the early years, right? And one of the things that I've learned, and I've stolen this from actually a counselor, um, as, as if you're ever in a situation where you're going to go and you're going to uh, receive counseling as a married couple, if the counselor or the pastor, the first thing out of his mouth or her mouth is, um, who wants to begin? Uh, I've been advised to, to you, you, the deal would be just you need to run. You don't want to pay for that hour. You want to just go ahead and go because what that, what that counselor is doing is saying, who wants to... Um, who wants to complain first? Who wants to complain about the other one first? Here's a more appropriate thing, and this is all going to apply, by the way. I promise you. I'm, I like to go down rabbit trails, but I usually can find a way back, so just bear with me. And here's how this applies, because what we are designed to do is acknowledge him in all of our ways, to know God, to, to know him, right? One of the ways, like with marriage counseling, rather than saying, well, who wants to start first? The way to begin a good counseling session would be to say this. Um, I want to get some background first. Go back to a time when you first met. Go back to that time when you guys were first dating. You first laid eyes on her. And you were together. Tell me about that time. Now you know that's going to be a sweet time. It's going to be a great time. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing, oh, he was so funny. The things that we talked about were so great. Or, you know, she was awesome. You know, she would tell me things about myself that would just, you know, just really gave me confidence. Now, you get a couple reminiscing like that, and they talk about that time, and then, they, then you say, well, now tell me what, what concerns you now. That, that changes the whole atmosphere. It really does. And see, when we're in a tough place, we're in that place, and we're thinking, where are you, God. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. This, the things aren't going the way I thought they would. I'm lost. And I want to trust you, but how can I trust you? In all your ways, acknowledge him. One of the ways you do it is you go back and you remember. You remember his faithfulness. That's what all through Scripture, that's, the psalmist does that all the time. The guy is always saying, now remember how I did this. Remember this, remember this, remember this. And see, because we wonder, and sometimes we think God doesn't love us. He's abandoned us. And so where we are in marriage counseling with God, and we're like, we thinking, I have a complaint against God. Well, a good therapist would say, well, remember what he's done for you. Now go back and think on that. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So when you're in a relationship with God, a lot of that relationship acknowledging him is remembering. Another part of it is, as I would tell anybody in a marriage, is you as a married couple need to have rituals you do. You have to have things that you look forward to. It could be on Tuesday nights, it's coffee. Uh, Tuesday night, it's a walk in the park. Uh, it's, we're playing cards. Whatever it is, there's rituals and there's things because you are working on your relationship. The way you work on your relationship is you remember, you remember, you remember, you remember, and then you do rituals. You have things that you do together, and that's how it is with God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We apply that to, that's how we sort of begin to take ourselves off the mat. We trust him. We have to remember his goodness. We have to remember his goodness through rituals. Sunday worship, time together with brothers and sisters, the things that he calls us to do. We get to know God through remembering what he's done through history, through the word, remembering his faithfulness in our lives, remembering how, remembering how we felt. 
when he first called us. Remember how we felt when we understood our sin was taken care of completely, forever. Talking to him, prayer, throughout the day, as we go. And we get to know him through ritual, regular rhythms of time with him and his people. So here, hopefully I've said enough things I can tie it together here. We're called to trust him. It's the thing that scripture lays out for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding, your wisdom, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Be in a relationship with God. Walk with him. Be with him. Trust him. And then we're to know him deeply. And then here's the truth. This is something I'm learning. I have to learn. After you've been face down trusting him and you, you stand up through remembering him and you know, being with him and knowing him and being in relationship with him, whatever situation you're in, then the next thing I would tell you is relax. I mean, take a deep breath and relax because he is the one who's making your path straight. There's a, an old Portuguese proverb that says, uh, God writes straight with crooked lines. Man, I get the crooked line part. I understand that. I just want to back way up where I can see it's a straight line. But I'm down deep into the line, and it looks crooked. But that's how God writes straight. He writes with crooked lines. And so God will make your path straight. And this is truly more than just guidance. He's just not, it's not just about guiding us, although it includes that. This means that God will see to it that his will will be accomplished in your life. That's why you can relax. I think I just recently heard, I think it was probably Tim Keller's sermon. That's probably a very good guess with me. It's probably one of his sermons. But one of the things that I hear him saying is that that we can trust God. His will will be accomplished. And if you think it's your choices that are accomplishing his will, and so everything is up to you, then that will only crush you. Because you've been called to trust him. You've been called to be in a relationship with him. The future is his. We can relax. We can relax. Okay, so here's what I would like to close out and say here. Why is trust then a life hack, or rather a better way to say it, a gospel resource? Why is trust a gospel resource? Very often, the broken creation, fallen people like us, our situations bring us to a place where we wonder how anything good can happen come out of the situation we're in. We just we get into that place and think, how can this ever end up good? How can I ever end up in a place where I don't feel this stressed or this crushed by life? And you just wonder, well, how can anything ever, ever turn out good? And, and it seems so insurmountable, the thing, the trouble I'm in, the difficulties I'm in, and the relational things that are broken, and my hard job, and all of the things that just really tear us down. And we begin to think, well, just is it even worth it? And our response is always to be the one weird trick, if you want to say it that way, is to trust. Trust. Trust in the Lord with every ounce of your being. Don't support yourself on your take on things, you know, your wisdom. Defer to God on that. Defer to his wisdom. Work on your relationship with God. Think back on those times. What has he done for you? Think back. Um, Work on your relationship. Really know him. Develop rituals, your quiet time, all of those things, all of those things that begin to feed your soul because that's what you need and what I need. 
And then relax. He's in charge. Trust him. But let me just say this. We have a huge problem because if I were to stop here right now and say, that's what you're supposed to do. Now go do it. Um, this just might as well be a TED Talk. Seriously, because it's like, now go. Just go do that thing. You know, in your own strength, the go, go, go. Because here's the problem. You and I really can't do that thing in our own strength, and that thing of just trusting him. There's something more here, and as Alex hit on it, it's where I need to take you. It's to say that, you know what, you can't trust him like that, like you want to, but there is one who did. Jesus. Jesus trusted like this. He is the fulfillment of Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make what seems to be a crooked path of death on a cross, a horrible death, he will make that straight. That's what we see in Jesus. One of the things that um, uh, the word trust, and I'm closing now here, because I want, us, I want us to be at the foot of the cross. And I want to see if I can get us there. Actually, more likely, the, the spirit to get us there. When you look at the word for trust... Um, one, of the, one of the ways that that word has an origin that goes back to something, and it's almost counterintuitive when you read it. When I read it, it stuck with me. I thought, well, why is this even in here? And I'm going to just read this is a, from a commentary. And it says that, that the word trust has a negative thrust in the Old Testament. You intrigued? Um, because I thought it was supposed to be a real positive thing. Well, it has a little bit of a negative thrust here. It says, it's it's defined this way, the thing on which one relies turns out to be deceptive so that the words derived from the Hebrew word are actually used to indicate false security, such as other people and or uh, their deceptive devices. Most of all, man must not have a confidence in himself or his own righteousness. And so that idea then is that we find ourselves giving in to something and hoping in something but that we might have like another plan in mind that we want to hope in. But when we trust in the Lord, we know that he's not deceptive. Because don't you sometimes, though, this is where I'm going with this. This is what I got to be thinking. That when my life isn't going the way that I want it, and things are difficult, I begin to sort of doubt God's goodness. That he may be this sort of like a snake oil salesman, that he's just sold me something, some bill of goods, and I thought my life was supposed to be easy. You know, I gave into that life hack. You know, where's my $1,000 check from Social Security? You know, I mean, where is it? But see, he can be fully trusted, and so that's so critical. And where do we look to see how, he's, how he can be trusted? He's not a snake oil salesman. Here's where we look. Here's where we look. Jesus, having lived the perfect life of absolute trust, he's, he's sinless. He acknowledges the Father in all his ways. He trusted and supported himself completely on the Father. He said, I only say what the Father shows me. I only, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And he came to that place on the night before he was crucified where he had a prayer that he was giving to the Father and he talked about the thing that he was about to do the next day. He was about to drink the wrath of God. Uh, he was about to receive completely, totally the wrath of God. And this is his prayer. Listen to this. And going a little further, he fell on his face. Sort of picture him on a blue mat now. 
Jesus face down, totally trusting. And in some sense, maybe helpless, or at least just totally trusting the Father. Because he says in his prayer, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass by me. If there's a, some weird hack or some weird trick that we can do to miss this, let's do that. But he says, but. Not as I will, but as you will. Perfect trust. This is Jesus trusting the Father. This is perfect and absolute trust. Why does he trust him? Because he knows the Father. He knows him completely. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, it says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. He knew the Father. He knew his goodness. He knew that the Father would receive what Jesus did. When Jesus received the full wrath of the Father, that that would be pleasing to him because Jesus said, I will be raised on the third day. Knowing that the Father was fully pleased with what Jesus did. Jesus trusted that the Father, that the path he was on, the pain and suffering greater than anything we could have or ever would experience, Jesus took upon himself for us because he trusted the Father's will. And he trusted that the Father's wrath would be satisfied. And it was. Jesus rose from the dead. He trusted that God's wrath would be satisfied, not the trust that relies on someone who is deceptive. The Father is not deceiving. He has your best interest in mind no matter what you're going through. With love so great as this, that Jesus would lay down his life for us, with such great love between the Father and the Son, that, that trust so deep flowed from Jesus, how can we not trust the Father to make the crooked path of struggles and pain and suffering to make it all straight for us? He can be trusted because we look to Jesus. We can get up off the blue mat and start to walk with him on the crooked path because he makes it straight. He will direct your paths. He will make them smooth and straight. So what we're to do is to trust, right? We're to remember and we're to relax. Oh, I need that. I need this. I need to trust. You need to trust. Trust is not just a weird trick. It's not some trite life hack. Trust is a person. It's Jesus. It's his glorious gospel. And we're to think on it and remember it. And that endears us to Jesus. And when we walk with him, and we're in his, we're in his presence, we can relax in a broken and hard world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, break us of... Uh, our way. Put us on the mat. Put us down, Father. Put us there so we learn to stop kicking and trust you. And Father, as we get up off of the mat, Father, teach us to lean into your wisdom. Uh, but Father, let us see that wisdom in the face of true wisdom, Jesus. Let us see how he trusted you. Let us see how he didn't kick and want his way, but he, he wanted your way. And he, he followed you. He he remembered your goodness. He knows your goodness. And so, Father, teach us to live like that because this world hurts. We're broken, and every day the world reminds us of it. And so, Father, uh, let us see Jesus high and lifted up, trusting, believing 
Let us see the resurrected Jesus. Let us find hope there. Let, us, let the emotions that come from us come from that deep-seated commitment and hope to Jesus and His goodness that you will make our paths straight. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.